Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello there. A quick request from me before we get on with the show. We're looking for guests for future episodes of Money Clinic, and we want to hear from you. Perhaps you're newly self-employed and gearing up to do your first tax return. Or maybe you're battling to stick to a budget as the post-lockdown wedding invites roll in. Whatever your question, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Or email the team via money at ft.com. It may not seem like it if you're a regular Money Clinic listener, but there are plenty of people out there in their 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond who haven't even started to plan for their future finances. They're known in the pensions industry as late starters. And this can happen for all kinds of reasons, often because the later years of your life can feel like one hell of a long way off. But for my guest this week, this couldn't be more different. When I was born in the in the early 80s, you know, life expectancy was nine uh, at best. Um, and now it's sort of in, into your late 30s. And I've beaten so many of those predictions, it's now boring. David was born with cystic fibrosis, a genetic condition which has meant that previously he has seen little point in worrying about what money he might live off in old age. When I started working... Um, even reaching retirement age in a position where I would be working was was very unlikely. I was expecting to have retired by the time I was 40 for medical reasons. However, in 2020, David started on a revolutionary new treatment called CAF-TRIO. The easiest way to describe it is it's, it's slowing down the rate of decline. And whilst it won't fix any damage that's there, it's kind of holding it at the same level. This has been a total game-changer for how David is looking towards his future. It has basically meant I now potentially have a life. Um, You know, I am now actually seriously thinking, wow, I could be working in 10 years' time. I might even be uh, working at sort of closer to 60 uh, if everything stays as it is, which is wonderful, except for the fact that I now have to actually financially plan. And it's not something I've had to do before. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast about personal finance and investing from the Financial Times. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. This week, we will be exploring how to get saving for the future, even as a late starter, and what it's like trying to get your finances in order when you have a long-term health condition. I'll be speaking to chartered financial planner Claire Walsh and FT investment columnist Moira O'Neill, who'll be giving us the lowdown on how best to build wealth for retirement, through pensions, ISAs or property investing. Now, back to David. Yes, so my name's David. I'm a uh, person with cystic fibrosis and I live uh, just outside of Cambridge in the UK. And 
Tell me how old you are. I'm 38, which for someone with cystic fibrosis is very old. For listeners who don't know very much about cystic fibrosis, can you tell us what it is? So cystic fibrosis is a genetic condition that basically means the, the lining of the natural lining of our lungs that everyone has is, is too thick. So we get uh, chest infections incredibly easily because everything gets trapped in our lungs. Um, so this is where quite a lot of people may have, have heard of cystic fibrosis and seen it on the TV over the years with the people doing sort of the, the hitting of, you know, percussing of people's backs and sides, mm. et cetera, um, to help in the form you of physiotherapy. Up. Yeah. To help, to help you to clear out the, uh, the, the, the nastiness that's there. Since David has started on this new treatment, it's not just his life expectancy that has been transformed. His day-to-day life has shifted dramatically too. Prior to uh, the, the, the new meds that I'm on, um, it was there was three-ish hours of treatment twice a day. Every single day? Every day, seven days a week. I didn't even get Christmas off. Um, oh. And, you know, it was it was up at 4.30 in the morning to make sure I can get everything done before I need to be at work. Um, It was a case of, you know, most of my time outside of working was basically doing my treatments. David now has time to do things that the more able-bodied among us may take for granted. I now have free time to go away, read, you know, what what I've missed out on, and, and also sort of think about what I might want to do in terms of my retirement planning and make sure that I don't end up in a situation where I've got no money to pay for care. I've got no money to to sort of pay for housing, etc. Well, if David is looking for some future financial planning tips, naturally, I want to know about his current financial setup. So you've mentioned that you were sorted, you had a house. Does that mean you own a house or are you renting? Uh, well, myself, myself and the bank, uh, it is it is mortgaged. But yes, I'm, I, I have a I have a flat in the centre of town and it's uh, you know it's it, it's enough for me um and and at the moment it is just me there's no uh, dependence of any description and and that's particularly useful because life insurance just doesn't exist for people like me david is on the property ladder and has a mortgage but with interest rates potentially on the rise those repayments may eat into the amount of excess cash he has left to put towards any pension savings and what about his work situation? David is a software engineer. So I uh, mostly work as a freelancer. Um, and as such, I'm a director of uh, my own company. When it comes to pension saving, this puts David at a disadvantage. He doesn't have a tailor-made workplace pension with the free money of employer contributions that many salaried workers will have. He'll have to set something up for himself. There's a link in the show notes to our episode about finances for the self-employed. If there was an opportunity to work full-time or part-time for a bigger company with company benefits, is that something that appeals to you? I've considered it and I've considered it several times. Um, The problem has always been my health is precarious and disappearing off for potentially three, four months of the year, which at its worst is, is what was happening. I was on intravenous antibiotics for 12, 14 weeks spread throughout the year is actually a major problem. I have, a, I genuinely have a real difficulty getting full-time employment um, because, uh, you know, they, they find someone more suitable 
which you know I, I, I fully accept is code for we can't support someone who's going to be away for three months and, and is being phrased carefully for uh, legal reasons. Hearing about the discrimination David has clearly encountered and how this is clouding his overall financial picture was really hard to listen to. As a freelance worker, his finances have suffered further because of the pandemic. Cancelled contracts mean that David's eaten into his emergency fund. Usually he has six months' worth of expenses saved up. That's double the amount most personal finance experts recommend. But he's now building this back up again. He says he's got about 50p in a cash ISA, and he has been looking into stocks and shares ISAs, but has yet to take the plunge. And after struggling to find pensions information specific to his situation, David thought, what better place to turn than Money Clinic? So how can our experts help David today? What options are open to late starters in pensions? Am I better off putting as much as I can towards a pension? Or am I better off trying to play the property game? Um, Am I better off looking at a combination of those factors, etc.? What kind of thing could help generate as good a return as possible on the money that I can throw in so I have as long as possible to enjoy what parts of my retirement I'm able to before my health starts hitting me hard again? Because I know one day it will. What else? As a freelancer, what pension options do I have open to me? And? As a disabled person, I've really found it quite difficult to find uh, financial advice that suits my disabilities. What general tips uh, could the experts give me to uh, help, help my finances as we move forward? After speaking to David, the first thing I thought I should do for him and other late starters is to lay down the skinny on pensions. And who better to help me than finance expert Claire Walsh? Good morning, I'm Claire Walsh. I used to be a financial planner for a number of years and I'm now working on developing an ethical investment platform called Ethin, we'll be launching next year. So Claire, talk us through, broadly speaking, what the three main types of pension are, starting with the state pension. So the state pension you build up through national insurance contributions, so provided you're working or if you're claiming benefits, so making sure that you've got your national insurance record being maintained. You need 35 years to get the full state pension. Currently, that's just shy of £10,000 per year and starts to be paid out when you hit 67, not before. The second type of pension is a company pension for salaried employees. The thing to look out for here is matched contributions. If you pay in a certain percentage of your pay, your employer will match it. Because if your employer is offering match funding, you know, that is free money that you should be grabbing hold of. Plus, you get tax relief on those contributions. Under auto enrolment, employers put in 3% and employees put in 5%. But some employers offer much more generous provision than that. Um, One of my previous employers offered 18% and all I had to put in was 2%, which was incredible. Finally, the third most common type of pension is a SIP, a self-invested personal pension. This also comes with tax relief and is crucial for those who are self-employed. If you're self-employed or if you're running your own small business, um, a director of a limited company as David is, then you are going to need to sort out your own pension provision and set up a private pension. And um, there's numerous different ways you can do that. Obviously, if you've got quite a lot of money, I'd encourage people to go to see a financial advisor 
if you're just starting out and um, you're just looking to pay in, you know, £100 a month or something like that, um, I'd be looking to try and get some sort of low cost plan. Claire suggests taking a look at Vanguard for a low cost option, AJ Bell if you want to be choosing your own funds, or Penfold, which is specifically tailored to self-employed people running their own businesses. But once you actually get to retirement, what options are there for how you withdraw money inside pensions? In general, the options of pension, you can get 25% tax-free as a lump sum. Most people opt to take it like that. You'll pay income tax when you take the remaining 75%, but it's up to you when you take that money and what you invest it in. Your broad choices are either leave it invested and go into what's known as drawdown, where you can draw bits of money off it, or buy an annuity. And an annuity, you're essentially giving your pension pot to an insurance company, and in return, they're giving you a fixed income for life, sort of mirroring the state pension or a defined benefit pension. However, the annuity option could be a good one for someone like David with a long-term health condition. Insurance companies offer what's known as impaired life annuities. So this is where they assess you based on your health, your own personal health issues. And if you do have um, a more limited lifespan, they will give you a much higher rate than if you were completely healthy. But remember, with an annuity, when you die, that money stays with the insurance company. There's nothing to pass on to any next of kin. Thanks for those tips, Claire. Now, if somebody of David's age, 38, knocking on the door of 40, starts saving into a pension now, what could they conceivably end up with? So um, if if David was going to start putting in sort of 2,000 a year from his company, he could be looking at something in the region of 56,000 at age 55. That's assuming a sort of growth rate of 5% per annum. Now, that doesn't sound like very much, but obviously every little helps. And if you can afford £2,000 this year, as your earnings hopefully increase, you could start putting more money away every year too. And of course, the more time you have, the more money you can end up with. Starting 10 years earlier, rather than looking at um, 56000 you'd be looking at 115000 And if you'd actually started 20 years earlier, around 20, you'd be looking at 215000 Obviously, this makes quite a big difference. And the reason it makes such a big difference is because of the effect of compounding. So putting in those contributions earlier, the growth on those contributions have the opportunity to grow themselves. Hear that, younger listeners? Get saving now. You will only thank yourselves later. But what about David? Is a pension even right for him? You can't withdraw the money inside until age 55 or even older. And with the prospect of having to retire early due to health reasons, this may not be the right route for him. I think at this point in time, for David particularly, I would be recommending he saves into a Stocks and Shares ISA instead. That way, he can access the money before retirement age. The only way you can access a pension through ill health is if you've got less than a year to live. Whereas if you've actually got a long-term condition like David has and he needed to access the money in his 40s or early 50s, that wouldn't be possible. So right now, I would encourage him to open a stocks and shares ISA and that way he can get his money will grow free of tax and he can access it whenever he wants. Claire says this might change for David as things develop, if he became a higher rate taxpayer or felt more certain that he would be working into his late 60s, a pension may begin to be a better option. Finally, Claire, knowing what you know about David's situation, 
Is there anything else financially you think he could explore? I wonder whether David's charging enough for his skills in his current capacity as a contractor. But moreover, I think being more confident about approaching the job, you know, he's, um, employers are not allowed to discriminate based on health grounds, but David also doesn't need to tell them about his condition before a job offer has been made. That's right. If you have a long-term health condition or disability, you are completely within your rights to withhold that information until after you've had a job offer. And you're perfectly within your rights to ask for any reasonable adjustments, such as flexibility to attend medical appointments or working from home. In addition to pension benefits, another benefit which I think could be really valuable for David with an employer could be income protection insurance. So what income protection insurance does is if you're medically unable to work due to long-term illness, it provides you with an ongoing income till retirement age. Now, because of David's condition, he wouldn't be able to take this insurance out personally, but many employers provide this as a group cover for their employees. So if David was to work for a firm that offered that, if in coming years his health did deteriorate and he wasn't able to work, he'd have that peace of mind that he'd have that ongoing income until retirement age. The next person I wanted to call up was Moira O'Neill. She's head of personal finance at Interactive Investor. Plus, she's an FT investment columnist. Moira's got a few tips on how to start building a tax-efficient investment portfolio for your future retirement. So the first is a pension. That's where you get free money from the government in the form of upfront relief on contributions. And when you reach retirement, you can also take 25% of a pension as a tax-free lump sum. For someone like David, who might need to withdraw money before he hits his late 50s, Moira, just like Claire, feels that ISAs could be a more flexible solution. The disadvantage of an ISA compared with the pension is the ISA doesn't offer upfront tax relief on your contributions. But when you actually reach retirement with money in an ISA, the benefit is that when you draw the income out, it is completely tax-free. You don't actually have to put it on your tax return. An ISA is essentially just a tax-efficient place to store your investments. It's not prescriptive of a particular type of investment style. You have to decide for yourself what sort of investor you want to be. And Moira's key consideration here? Risk. Risk in investment terms is really about how much your money might fluctuate, how the stock market goes up and down. And if you've got time on your side taking on higher levels of risk can give you better opportunities to grow your money. So it can be a positive thing. Risk is important when you are thinking about how long your money is going to be invested for. Moira says that for short-term investments, lower risk could be better. Crucial for David if his health takes a turn for the worse over the next few years. So maybe have a pot of money that he invests a little bit more conservatively so he can be sure of the outcome. So he can make sure that he has some money that he knows he will be able to get in five years, maybe some in 10 years um, would be a good starting point. But Moira recommends balancing this with longer term investments that carry higher risk levels. And have another pot where he's investing for 20 or 30 years ahead where he can take a lot more risk because he's got a lot, lot more time in the stock market. Now, When we talk about risk, what do we really mean? It's about how much exposure you have to um, shares in the portfolio. So a higher risk in terms of investing would have 100% exposure to shares. 
And then a more balanced portfolio would have 60% in shares and 40% in, in bonds. And that's the, the traditional way of looking at, at risk. You can open both ISAs and SIPs on investment platforms and select the investments you want to hold inside them, be it shares, funds, trackers, investment trusts, or a combination of all. What's different is the tax treatment, how much you can pay in per year, and the age limits that will apply to withdrawals. If David has some money in an old workplace pension anywhere, moving that into a SIP could be a good move. I would say the caveat to that is check the small print on the plans. I mean, some some pension schemes do have good things attached to them, like they might have a lower retirement age on an old pension scheme, or there may be some insurance attached to it or something that you don't really want to give up. Finally, David had wondered about using his property as a source of income once he reaches retirement age. Moira has a few words of caution about this. It's definitely an attractive asset and I think people love holding it because they can see it and it's tangible. But it is, the tax situation around property can change. Um, It might not be that efficient. The money might be difficult to access at some point. It's quite time consuming, the management of property. It's not suited to everybody. And of course, you need pretty big sums to, you know, get the deposit down for a buy-to-let property. Whereas, you know, if investing is something like a pension, you can do it with £25 a month or upwards and still manage to build up funds for retirement. So plenty of food for thought there for pensions late starters. But what did David make of what Claire and Moira had to say? David, a lot of information there from our experts to take in, but what stood out to you? Um, I think the the idea of, of sticking more in the ISA versus looking at whether a, a pension is the right move for me was, was particularly interesting, um, coupled with the fact that uh, property may not be quite as tax efficient or uh, beneficial as, as it might feel. Mm. Are you a bit clearer on your pensions options now? I mean, the experts were quite brutal about it. You know, you're going to be 68 by the time you can get your hands on your state pension and probably 58 for any private pensions, which is quite a long way away. It is. I think I I was always, in my case, dubious that a pension would be the right move. Um, But I think think on reflection from from what's been said, I I need to go away and and research what the various ISAs offer, you know, and look to sort of have uh, one that allows me to do a combination of sticking some of my money into the safer bonds and whatnot that was suggested, some of the money into the open market. Yes, and I thought Moira's um, guidance there on having those two pots, a shorter term one taking less risk and a longer term one with a higher degree of risk was was a really interesting idea. Yes, it was. And that, that is something I'm likely to uh, look at taking forward. Excellent. Now, hearing the experts say what they had to say, does that give you some renewed confidence to maybe go back to the jobs market and see if you could land a salaried role with an employer? It's certainly something I will consider looking into, yes. Mm, because I have to confess, David, I didn't know that it, you would have been well within your rights to withhold any information about your health until after a job offer had been made. 
I knew that I had to declare it prior to starting to be able to benefit from any sort of legal discrimination protection. However, I didn't realise it could actually be after. Do you still think that there are gaps in financial information for people with disabilities? I mean, has coming on the show helped to fill some of those gaps? It's helped clarify the situation, yes. Um, It hasn't, however, changed my opinion that financial information for people with disabilities is is lacking. Um, And it's something that I would push uh, certainly financial advisors, but also potentially even uh, heading towards the Treasury and education uh, departments within our government, that financial financial education, particularly for those people who are going to be on a less traditional route, is actually very important. And hopefully, if they start doing things in the near future, as we move forward to um, future generations, that will be less and less of a problem. That's it for Money Clinic this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. And if you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show, get in touch. You can email me, our address is money at ft.com, or DM me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced and edited in London by Persis Love. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here soon. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.